0: Hi everyone, my name is Navridi and I'm Eric and welcome to our podcast Above and Below where we interview changemakers and industry experts to help us explore how we're shaping our culture and how it's shaping us. Today we're discussing the topic of automation and how its continuing use and integration into the workplace is changing the way we work. In a general sense, automation is defined as a way to use technology to execute a process or procedure which requires minimum human assistance. So I'm putting an emphasis on the minimum human assistance because this means that as we get more automation or more automated, it means that it will require less and less human effort or even just less of a need for humans. (laughs) Right, Eric?
1: Yeah, I can can see that viewpoint and also... As I'm integrating a lot of technology into the workplace, as that's part of my job, I I see that technology is automating things, but it's also allowing us to do more things. So I'm increasingly conscious of the fact that while technology is there to synthesize a lot of information and, and make life easier, it's also making lives a little more complex in the sense that you know, we have to do more. We're expected to do more now that technology can assist us. And we're expected to do more faster. Um, so I think automation is changing the way we work. It's, it's just shifting the way we work. Like we did certain things with paper one way and now we're integrating computers and our roles are now changing as it relates to the processes that are automated
0: Right. And it goes beyond just paperwork as well. I mean, automation is something that's trying to take this, you know, all-encompassing job that perhaps many people could do, but only one machine can do now. And I think there's a really interesting paradigm shift happening and it's quite paradoxical. What I really want to learn more about is how this is shifting the way humans are interacting and how that's changing our culture and how it's also changing, uh, the way or how, how it's also changing what we expect from work.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Now between work and home, I feel like my screen time is 80, 90% of my day. Um, I am always looking at a screen, uh, where I don't think that was the case four years ago. So I'm increasingly conscious of, trying to limit my screen time. Even Apple is now making more people (laughs) conscious, right? By popping up on their phone saying like, hey, you spent this much time on your screen. And for a lot of people, it's a wake up call. So to dive deeper into this topic, we are welcoming Jason Schumann to the podcast. He is a principal at the venture capital firm, Primary Venture Partners. Jason's invested in some automation companies and can talk about how this is going to change the way we work. Welcome, Jason. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me here.
0: Yeah, we can't wait to uh, dig into your insights and experience in this area. So just to start off, you know, we want to know about your story and what motivated you to pay attention to or invest in the future of automation.
2: Yeah, so, you know, I I think it's impossible not to pay attention to automation, especially when you're investing at the seed stage. Um, When you're investing in seed stage companies, you're thinking in, you know, 10 to 20 years out and what's the world going to look like then? Um, So, you know, even looking back over the last 10 years, you know, and what the world looked like before, I mean, we were on flip phones, we had dial up modems, you know, for a period of time. Uh, and, and the world certainly changed a great deal nowadays, you know, you have all these companies who are using data and it doesn't matter what profession you're in or what products you're using as a consumer, it's impacting your day-to-day life. So I think we're really in just phase one here of the future of automation. Uh, and I think in a lot of ways it's going to improve lives and in other ways it may make lives more difficult. Uh, but at the end of the day, I can guarantee there will be change.
0: So tell us more about, uh, you know, some of the jobs or industries that are now being automated or what are your thoughts on uh, which industries are starting to rely on automation for its future?
2: Yes, there's some interesting studies out there. Uh, You know, PwC, I think, talked about 33 percent of jobs could be eliminated uh, by 2030 uh mckinsey talked about another 70 million or so going away by 2030 and then you want to take a step back and think about okay well what industries are most likely to be impacted and you know you look at the largest uh, levels of employment in the united states and you think about where could automation come in and you're talking about things like financial services you know accounting certain legal services farming you know, truck drivers, there's all of these professions where automation may come into the workforce, whether it's, you know, autonomous vehicles, you know, on the farmland or helping truck drivers, you know, move things from point A to point B, Um, you know, software helping automate the classification of certain expenses when it comes to accounting and helping, you know, certain taxes be done or certain insights being derived from the data sets back there. And even in sales, you know, I know like at the end of the day, like people will always have a role in sales, but SDRs historically, you know, sales development reps who have been doing research every single day and going out. And years ago, they used to literally open up like the Yellow Pages and find, okay, who do I need to call today? Then there became LinkedIn. And you you would scrape and search for people on LinkedIn. Well, now that type of information is just being handed over to your fingertips. And there's all sorts of marketing automation systems like Marketo and Pardot that can basically send out all those prospecting emails and take those types of jobs as well, which used to be, really entry-level jobs to get into the workforce and build your way up.
1: Is there an industry in particular that you're finding particularly interesting about automation right now? Well, manufacturing to me has always been fascinating. So I
2: grew up in a family that uh, came from the manufacturing world. And, you know, back in the early 90s, a lot of the manufacturing was here in the United States. And then, uh, you know, my father had the foresight to start to work his way over to China and work with a lot of the manufacturers over there. And a lot of Americans at the time went over to China to, cha- uh, to train the Chinese workers on uh, how to use certain machines and how to put together certain goods. And then they started making a lot of the goods, and, you know, a lot of people started to lose jobs here in the United States. And, you know, as you've looked over the last let's call it five to 10 years. And look, look at the last presidential election. You know, they're talking about bringing jobs back to the United States and perhaps manufacturing jobs. I think the challenge is, though, that like, from my perspective, when you see you know, robotics coming out of MIT and you know, Caltech and all sorts of other places that can make the shirt that you know, you're wearing tonight really easily without the use of, of traditional labor you know, it's hard to believe that those jobs are going to come back, especially because I also just can't envision consumers wanting to pay the prices that it will require for those jobs, at least to come back to the United States in the meantime.
1: Yeah, I saw an article recently about Foxconn, one of the largest factories, laying off 60,000 people uh, who are working on, you know, $5 a day. So, I mean, it's interesting. It's, you know, we sit here right in Brooklyn and it's a bit of a privilege to even talk about automation uh, and the people who are going to be most impacted uh, don't necessarily have a seat at the table. Um, but what is your responsibility as a VC in investing in automation? Or do you feel like this is what it is and... Um, there's going to be people who fall by the wayside? That's a fantastic question.
2: Um, So I think automation is inevitable in the world Uh, and you can either partake in it or you will be left behind. Um, And the United States as a country in order for us to stay ahead of other countries economically speaking, I believe need to keep up in terms of automation. With that said, I think that uh, one of the beautiful parts of, you know, being in venture, I get to meet entrepreneurs every single day that see new pain points pop up, uh, you know, over the years. And they're coming up with solutions to those pain points. So to your question, like, if you look back at the Industrial Revolution, there were a ton of jobs that went away back then. And, you know, I think a lot of millennials, including myself, look at the world and the future of automation and get really scared. And I think it's reasonable to be scared because the rate of change and the rate of change specifically with technology is faster than it's ever been. And that's nerve wracking. But, you know, I think there are really, really smart people every day thinking and asking themselves the exact questions that we're talking about tonight. And they're going to go out there and they're going to come up with solutions. At the same time, there's two things that I really think about. One is what role will government play in the future in terms of whether it's taxing automation uh, or what role does education play? You know, you have a massive amount of baby boomers out there that are going to be living a lot longer than any other generation before them. And what are they going to do for work? You know, I think what we're really, what we really need to be talking about is retooling the population. You know, there's this crazy student debt crisis that we're talking about. People are going to college, but they're not learning hard skills. You know, they're getting out of school and they're like, what do I do? You know, and and a lot of these jobs aren't going to be there that maybe they were training for. So, you know, to your question as well, like, I think like there's a lot of coding schools that are popping up that are helping people. Uh, get educated on how to write code for free. You know, and, and the teaching and the education there is going to be completely free. And then over the course of time, they pay back those services in the form of a percentage of their income. So that's just another example of like something that I think will need to happen. But people, people need to be motivated to make that change.
0: So it sounds like automation is rapidly infiltrating our economy. And there's also an expectation for people to quickly adapt to it. So there will definitely be a learning curve that the existing workforce and future workers will face. Do you think there's a way that the population at a large scale will adapt to this change positively?
2: I'm praying that vocational schools take off. And, like, what I mean by that is the the future of vocational schools I think will be different. Like, I think people will go to school to learn how to code. And, like, you know, that... uh, specific area, you know, can be done when when it's able to be done in the United States at an hourly wage that is more similar to, you know, let's call it uh, the, the hourly wages that the current jobs that are getting automated away are at. That's when the United States will have a lot of these jobs that are currently being outsourced to India and the Philippines and other stuff like that end up coming back to the U.S. in my opinion.
1: But along those lines, you know, I've been reading articles that are already saying that, you know, machine learning is going to replace basic coding. But I guess you, to your point, people are still going to have to understand like a basic, un, have to have a basic understanding of how to code. But, you know, eventually maybe the, soft, the, the software engineer who is like the highest paid salary in most companies today, um, that job may be even eclipsed by machine learning. So
2: it's a good question of like, can all jobs hypothetically be automated? Um, I don't think the answer is yes. I mean, like, because new new products, new services are always going to pop up and new people are going to have to write those lines of code. New people are going to have to sell that product. New people are going to have to market that product. So there will always be new jobs popping up. I think... Um, I'm a little bit more positive on that outlook. It's just like how people today are saying that, you know, consumer investing in the United States is dead today because, you know, all these big platforms that could have been created have already been created. And I I don't agree with that. I think that um, you're going to see uh, a lot of new jobs that, like, none of us could even imagine Mm -hmm. popping up.
0: Yeah, I remember in my economics class in high school, my teacher saying that, you know, you're going to have a job that doesn't exist yet. <laughs> and it's so true. I think um, one of the challenges of schools or the university system that even exists today, it's, you know, it's harder for them to catch up uh, to what's what will be relevant five to 10 years from now. And hence, you know, you, you mentioning, you know, seeing these coding schools popping up or boot camps pop, popping up.
2: Um, Let, let's just like put this in perspective for a second here. There are hundreds of thousands of people out there today that make a living off of taking cool pictures and posting it on Instagram. Like that's a fact, you know, like I I used to work at an influencer marketing software company and you had people that were like 15 years old taking cool photos to and, and, you know, sharing them with a niche following and getting brands to pay them thousands of dollars, you know, and they're getting free stuff all the time. I mean, there're kids playing esports now, you know, you, you know these video games and making right. more money than some of these athletes around the world. I mean, I never would have believed you if you told me when I was like 10 years old that, you know, my friends online would all follow me, I would create content and all of a sudden make enough money. So, you know, that i actually think is like the perfect example of like the world changes new jobs are going to be created and who
1: who knows what's going to end up happening in the future yeah i think a key takeaway is just being able to be nimble and uh know creative problem solving uh you know i got a masters in architecture and um I don't really know if I could have built a building when I graduated, but I did know I was capable of systems thinking and being able to take complex problems and synthesizing a result. Um, So I've applied that to my career over the years and, you know, it's adapted. You know, I never thought, you know, I'd be recording a podcast right now (laughs) because content is so big right now. And, you know, just because I think Navridi and I have always been interested in these topics and wanting to explore. But, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's just adaptability is the key thing. And um, a lot of people, I think, are accustomed to being told what to do. Um, And that's how our education system is largely built. It's built off of the prison system, uh, you know, way back when. Or the factory system. Or the factory system. So um, I think the education model is going to have to shift. And, you know, I had the luxury, or we both had the luxury of getting master's degrees that expanded the way we thought and kind of had to do a lot of unlearning. Um, So that's what I hope with technology is that we can uh, bring more creative thinking to a larger scale.
2: Yeah. uh, I mean, it's really interesting to look at technology today and think about it from two perspectives. One, as you mentioned, we're here recording a podcast today, sitting in, you know, a studio and all we have is a MacBook and like two microphones. Like if that's not democratizing access to creating high quality content, like I don't know what is. And I think it's impressive how Much and really how far technology has come along and how it's democratized access to so many people, especially that supercomputer that sits in your pocket every day that you walk around with called a smartphone. I mean, it's just like it blows my mind to think like what people can do on that thing. And it doesn't just have to do with like social media content. You know, that computer, like, you can use it to Google things. You can use it to learn Chinese. You can use it to learn Spanish. You can use it to learn how to code. Like, there's so many things. You can use it to find jobs in your local area on demand. Like, it's kind of crazy to think, like, what that's able to do. Um, With that said, I think the second perspective that you bring up a really good point about is, like, just the human psyche. Like, are we as human beings in the United States capable of coming up with and figuring out what we want to do and are we motivated enough to go out and learn it because change isn't easy for anybody everybody you know has lived their lives in a certain way over the last you know it depends on how old you are but it could be 10 20 30 40 50 years and are you able to adapt and i think that question you know is society able to adapt is actually the biggest question to me because I don't think it's going to be a question of will the, you know, opportunity to adapt be there. I think it's will the motivation and the uh, understanding of what to adapt to is the biggest question mark here.
0: So going off of that, let's say hypothetically, you know, a lot of jobs, millions and millions of jobs do get eliminated because of automation. Uh, So what human skills would you say, in your opinion, will become more valuable Uh, in the workforce?
2: Definitely people skills. I think that I actually think, by the way, people skills are becoming more and more rare because I think um, kids are getting addicted to their cell phones early. Uh, They're getting addicted to Facebook and Instagram in a very non-healthy way. Uh, And that is creating more online relationships than, you know, IRL, like in real life relationships with people. And I think you're actually starting to see that play out already, which is the people that have like interpersonal skills and uh, high EQ, not only just IQ, are the ones who are going to be really successful out there um, because they're going to be able to go out and sell Things, Whether it's, you know, software or, you know, real estate, whatever it may end up being, they'll be able to sell. I think the other uh, thing that people will always appreciate, uh, always, is creativity. And creativity can come in so many forms. Uh, you know, music and art are certainly the low-hanging fruit that people always think about. But look, like, I think chefs will always be around, you know. I think uh, people love food and they love a story behind it. So if there is any industry where, like, that is occurring and, you know, it could be everything from that to massage therapy, like, those types of services, I think, is where the economy is heading.
0: Well, yeah, look, I mean, we already mentioned Instagram. Instagram is essentially a digital tool, and a way to use automation and a way to, you know, digitally connect with friends or people who could have been your friends and things like that. And the way you, a lot of people use that tool, it's created this whole influencer industry, which is a creative vocation, or it's, some people would say it's a creative vocation.
1: <laughs> right. But to the opposite effect of that is, as Jason's mentioning is like, People are showing one thing on social media, but maybe in real life they're just looking at their phone and not <laughs> interacting. Yeah, uh, that's what I find comical <laughs> about a lot of health and wellness well, it's bloggers. Yeah. You know, I mean, I get it; they're sharing and they want to share, but it's um, becomes a little overwhelming. One movie
2: that like actually intimidated me a little bit about the future is ready player one have you guys seen that
1: no but i thought you were going to say
2: ingrid goes west which (laughs) is about i thought you were going
0: to say i thought you were going to say her
2: (laughs) (laughs) ah that too uh yeah no. ready player one um is a movie about like the future of vr and it kind of like walks you through this world in I don't even know if it's like 50 or 100 years, but basically shows you what the world's like when there's so much technology, and so much automation that people are li- literally living in a virtual world. So there's this kid plays in a VR world inside of like a mobile home that is stacked within a rack of other mobile homes and like. What's crazy about that is that, you know, in that example, people didn't have jobs. So what did they do? They needed an escape and they escaped in that virtual world. And I certainly hope that we do not get to that point. Um, But when you do look at social media usage, you know, I, I feel like people have a high amount of fear and are and. Are moving in the direction where they're getting more and more addicted to their phones and uh, it's kind of crazy to think Mm -hmm. about the social network's ability to get you to use it more.
0: So I want to challenge automation a bit because I really feel like in New York we're living in this bubble where you know a lot of innovation is happening a lot of beta testing is happening Eric mentioned being an early adopter you know having access to opportunities like this isn't always available you know beyond our city or like or more so beyond our borders. So I'm challenging that because, you know, we have, let's say, almost 8 billion people now to consider. And is AI and and automation and this massive, you know, technological revolution and, and adaption that this industry is seeking, is it really going to happen? You know, there's a lot of infrastructure that needs to be changed, a lot of hardware that needs to be accessible, you know, to really have to to really have this impact so i mean i don't know i feel like sometimes we're wearing rose-colored glasses and is this actually going to happen
2: so the real i mean like the question that i think you're bringing up is like is automation going to occur in other countries or just like the u.s only or like developed nations and I think if you look at the United States versus other countries, uh, historically, we've always had technology that they haven't necessarily had. Um, with that said, even other countries that have come up over the course of time have now come to leapfrog the United States with other sorts of technology. But yeah, there, there's a realistic like ROI equation that everybody needs to go through. And if you're in a country where either the cost of labor is ridiculously low or you know you don't have roads that are that have lines on them and so on and so forth then it may be difficult to bring certain you know parts of automation to that country but in the United States like i think everybody's thinking about that ROI equation when they're rolling out AI and, and, and such into whatever their product is and trying to figure out what that, what that ROI equation is. So like one example, um, the only like future of automated automation related companies that I would invest in are the ones who can walk into my office and they can say, hey, I know that I can offer my product or service for 50% less than, you know, this company, or I can save you 50%, you know, of your time. By doing X, Y, and Z, whether that's you know literally requiring one accountant to be able to work with 200 clients versus only being able to work with 50, or you know being able to get one truck driver to cover an extra three hours on the road, um, you know, which is makes it so it's cheaper for them to get a product from point A to point B. I mean. We're, we'll see where it goes, but I think you know in the U.S. I, th- I find it very hard to believe that it won't at least take away or, or add to a lot of different industries.
0: So I want to flip the coin here. Um, how how is automation beneficial from a business standpoint? Why is it better for a business to have automation or be automated?
2: Two really really big reasons. One is bottom line, you know profitability money money (laughs) cost you know i think that's a big one And, and and cost and that has to also do with like efficiency and productivity so you know even thinking about uh you know going back to like where are we at today versus like 15 years ago in terms of you know automation look at the digital marketing landscape you know you had all of this data that was flooding into Facebook ads and so on and so forth that was being handed to marketers. If you can automate, which Facebook does, which ads are performing better than the other, you can increase sales. You know, or if you're in a political race, unfortunately, you can target people that, that you know, you, whose opinion you're aligned with. So uh, when it comes to you know, increasing top line and increasing bottom line, it's really hard to debate against automation. So
1: going a little bit back to the workplace, um, you know, we're millennial age sitting around here. Are you seeing any trends in the generation younger than us and how they're relating to automation and how they may shift the workplace?
2: You know, I I have a sister who is eight years younger than me. So she's a freshman in college. Um, and, you know, we've talked a little bit about how her upbringing was very different than mine and her exposure to technology was very different than mine. And I think that, um, kids are, you know, starting to realize like where their education needs to go. Uh, and also where the shortfalls are, you know, Colleges and universities are not keeping up with, like, traditional colleges and universities are not keeping up with, you know, the changes in the world today. And, like, if you want a a bold prediction, call it the top 50, maybe the top 100 schools. I think those will be the only ones around, you know, 30, 40 years from now. Because I just don't see the value proposition being strong enough coming out of universities that fall outside of those, you
1: know, true frames there. Yeah, I think you're already seeing the younger generation choosing not to go to college because they're seeing millennials with a lot of student debt and not being able to pay that off. And yeah, I'm, I'd be curious to see already they are, seem to be shaping the the workforce. They're even, I think, a little more transient than millennials are. Um, that's my, I don't know, I, it's probably too early to say.
0: Yeah, I think I definitely see a value in universities at a social level because it's a place where young people gather in one place, connect and meet and, you know, create a social life. So maybe going to university will become more valuable socially as opposed to than just getting a degree for the sole purpose of higher education in the traditional sense.
2: Well, I actually would argue that like that is most of the value today. Like yeah. more more so than the degree. So right. like If the education infrastructure changes, can the social infrastructure change? Like there's got to be stuff that pops up in theory when, you know, uh, some of the empty shopping malls in the middle of America become coding schools. You know, like there's going (laughs) to be new ways for people to, to hang out with each other, to socialize and to mature. Um, I'm just not convinced it's going to happen on, you know, a beautiful Mm -hmm. college campus um, that is ranked, you know, 297 in the U.S. Mm -hmm. What is the U.S. news rankings?
1: Right. I mean, you're seeing the top colleges putting all their content online now. So the value in these institutions is the socialization and, um, you know, education is also being able to curate information. So when people and maybe AI will start to help uh, with in personal and professional life, help curate information for people. And that also becomes a little dangerous. And like, what is curation? And um, who are the people then curating this information? So I don't know if you ever thought about maybe the repercussions of some of this automation. And, and, and um, you know, I think about my husband, who is a historian. Um, you know, he's always reviewing things with a critical thinking lens you know are these companies that are now automating processes are they going to be required to hire ethicists and uh, people who can think about our future not just as an algorithm but we're also human Mm -hmm. at the end of the day to unpack
2: that i think i just want to make two comments one is like When it comes to education and online learning, I think that's like the greatest opportunity for people anywhere because you can democratize learning and like uh, some people believe in what's called adaptive learning. Some people don't, which is, you know, the ability to figure out what type of a learning style you have and then teach you in that style. Well, if you're sitting in a classroom with one teacher who teaches to one style it may not be the best way for you to be learning. So there's a lot of ways we could use technology to teach people better, higher quality content, whether it's adaptive learning or just taking the best teachers in the world and giving them to people in the palm of their hand or in front of them, no matter where they are. Um, as it pertains to your second question, I think, or your second point around ethics. Right now in the United States, like it is a fascinating time to think about ethics and the role it plays in technology and you know as much as executives want to point to maximizing shareholder value through the decisions that they make i think you've seen over the last six to twelve months that the decisions that a ceo thinks maximizes shareholder value does not always maximize shareholder value and like let's just look at two really easy examples, Uber and Facebook, you know, like they, they they've made decisions over the last 12 months that have ultimately hurt them. And I think that, um, at the time it may have made sense to the CEO. And like, in hindsight, it's easy to say that they made a major mistake, but, um, you know, looking at it, I think that, CEOs are going to have to ask themselves a different question and, you know, at least approach it from multiple different angles before they make the decision that may just maximize top line or, you know, improve profitability.
1: Yeah, that's a good point about this, the impact of the CEO on a company. And um, who knows, maybe some companies are going to leverage AI to create more distributed teams and not have a traditional hierarchy Um You know, who knows? Distributed teams, I am seeing
2: so much more, especially because, you know, it's one thing to live in New York City and we're certainly lucky to do so, but it's really expensive, Mm -hmm. you know? uh, If you can get the cost of living somewhere like, you know, Raleigh, North Carolina, and you can make a similar wage or even less, but like you're living a better quality life, I think that's, you know an incredible value proposition. It's just about figuring out if you can work in that way and you know how do the teams adapt to work in that way?
0: So let's take a step back and talk about ethics. You mentioned Uber and a few other companies that are using automation and creating these new markets. So let's just say for example that Uber creates a driverless car and this car gets into an accident. And in a situation like that, who do we hold accountable with the risks that come with an automated service like that?
2: There are like crazy pros and cons to like every change that goes on in the world and especially within technology. But if we just boil down like driverless cars to its core and I went up to you and didn't tell you what technology I was talking about, but I said, hey, if I could save millions of lives a year, in the United States, with one change, would you want to do it? Yes or no? And majority of people are going to say yes. I mean, like, why not? So if we were, and like, I love driving, by the way, I, but um, and I think we're a very, very far ways away from like driverless cars, like completely driverless cars. Um, but if we're at the point where driverless cars are on the road and only driverless cars on the road i think you're gonna be pretty happy with the data and what the data says and yeah there's going to be isolated incidents that pop up i think unfortunately though like that's just part of the way it's going to be and and it's and i don't know like how we're going to deal with it at that point uh i can guarantee it's going to happen i just don't know you know what exactly we're going to do
1: yeah i think that Tricky thing with automation as it relates to the workplace and beyond the workplace is that, you know, we don't really know what is going to play out. There's going to be so many unexpected things as we've we've touched on. And but we also don't want to like lean into any false optimism that just because there's going to be all this automation that, you know, things are automatically going to be better. It's just going to be you know, we're human, like we've had similar problems throughout the years, through the centuries. Um, The problems are just going to be different, they're probably gonna have just larger repercussions, because we're just gonna be able to impact, you know, the whole globe, as opposed to like, an isolated civilization, right? Like, when everybody is theoretically automated, like, you know, one, already, you're seeing that, like, you know, in the, the stock market, when like, there's like a, Algorithm slip and like (laughs) the stock market has like what is that called like a momentary plummet and then reverberates back um, so Anyway, this can go on and on. Um won't ramble on but I don't know. do you want to like leave us with any some takeaways about what millennials can Prepare themselves in the workplace over like the next five years and what they should be paying attention to and what they should maybe be ignoring Totally.
2: Um I think people fear the unknown, and I can appreciate that. Like, I'm human and I fear the unknown as well. Uh, I think the only piece of advice that I can give people is to stay curious. Like, go out and learn about something new. If you read about something, I don't care if it's crypto or blockchain or coding or esports or whatever it may be, like, just go learn about it. You know, and if you learn about it and it interests you as a new topic and it seems like it's up and coming, make a bet on it. And, you know, even if you fall flat on your face and you're not successful in that first attempt or that first try, at least you went after it. And if you continue to take shots on net, like you will catch a goal, you know, you'll I guess you'll score a goal or you'll catch a wave at some point and you'll be successful. So. I'm pretty confident that, you know, the future is bright and I'd rather stay positive in in that way. And I think uh, if people continue to do that, they'll be all right.
0: Mm, That's a good point. Thank you, Jason, for taking the time to talk to us. I think we got a lot of insights from you about automation and the changes that will come with it in the workforce.
1: Thank you. To all our listeners, if you have any questions and comments about this episode, we encourage you to email us at hello at aboveandbelow.nyc. We have many more topics to cover about the future of the workplace, and you can stay in the loop with us by subscribing to our channels on iTunes, Spotify, or Anchor. Thanks so much for listening.